to flip this track again, y'all. Welcome into a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride. I am here as usual with Brendan Vogt to my left. What's up, man? How's your day going today? My day is going pretty well, man. Tough loss for the Nuggets. Oh, really? But on a personal <laughs> level, that, uh, <laughs> yes, they actually, they Was lost there a loss last to night 106 that to the Timberwolves. Oh, God. Now, on a personal level, really quick, uh, that wraps up my first season covering the Nuggets, covering any NBA team with a credential. So I'm bummed that it's over. But I'm stoked that it happened, man. That was a lot of fun. Before we get into all this, we're going to do a quick pick and pop pod. Pick and pod. I still can't Jesus, fucking... Jesus, TJ. I, I, I can't say this. I'm throwing you alley-oops out here. I and you're know. Blowing so, Ugh. before we get into the pick and pod part of this podcast... God, that's a mouthful, man. That's way too many things in there. I do want to just talk briefly about just how much fun this season was. Yeah. Because the Nuggets came into this year where a lot of people thought they would be a playoff team. Some didn't. So, Vegas had them at 46 or 45 and a half wins, which is they ended up beating out with their 46th win on the second-to-last game of the season. And with all the injuries, all the chaos, all the development, and all of the drama, and all of the fun, and all of the beefs, and just everything that has happened this year, even with a failure to make the playoffs, what a fun year. What a fun year. And I think if you were to go back and try to pick out maybe the 20 most fun and crazy regular season games played league-wide, the Nuggets probably have at least three or four. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and a lot of them happened at the Pepsi Center. Yeah. And so that was really fun. I know the Nuggets have struggled with attendance in previous years. A little better this year. They're trying to get some traction here with the Nuggets in the local market. And to see them play great basketball in front of their hometown fans, to watch that crowd wake up by the time the year was over, um, there was playoff-like basketball played in the Pepsi Center. And I, you know, I just got here, so I won't speak for the rest of you. I'm sure that was a welcome sight, you know. It absolutely was. Yeah. It was just such a fun year through and through. The Nuggets end up finishing the year 46 and 36. That is a six-game improvement from their 40 and 41 last year. So this team is moving in the correct direction, although I am not. My phone is still on. <laughs> um, but overall, just an absolutely fun year. But I can't. Man. It's hard not to think how good this team could have been if they stayed healthy. I know, and a lot of people are going to... People don't like to use that excuse, and players and coaches are, are coached not to, right? With the, you can't. Everyone was injured, but I think it's reasonable to look at a team that missed the playoffs by one game and say, wow, 44 games, 100 days of no Millsap. And it's not just no Millsap, that's cap space, that's talent that can't be, you know, that's yep. money that can't be spent on other talent. And Harris down the stretch, although they won those games, Jokic, it was real. It was real injury trouble, and... Um, you know, some players aren't keen on using that as an excuse. We'll talk a little bit later about the exit interviews, but Paul Millsap today, um, was more than happy to point that out. I mean, and it wasn't just him either. I realized that it was kind of multiple people. Even Michael Malone alluded to it. Nikola Jokic alluded yeah. to it. Will Barton alluded Look, to it. I so. think that's fair, man. They missed the playoffs by a game. Now you, they, they correctly did point to things they could have done anyway to get in. And again, Butler was hurt, you know, New Orleans lost cousins, but I think it's really fair because the truth is TJ, I think this team was a much closer to a 50 win team than a 40 win team. I agree with that. I mean, literally they won 46 games. So yeah, nice math. I'm probably yeah. really proud of that math. You pulled off there. <laughs> I, dropped out of, I dropped out of math the second I got into undergrad. I don't blame you at all, um, but we're getting a little yeah. ahead of ourselves. So let, good, let, good, let. good season is really what I'm, I, I know it, it's, it's not a, it's not the result everyone wanted to see, but I think you would be incorrect to label it as a failure. I agree with that. That's probably the right way to say it. So with that being said, let's go back to where all this started with the pick and pod part of this, which is the Nuggets 112-106 to loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first play-in game in 21 years. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, 21 years. That's so cool. Since there were two teams to where the winner goes to the playoffs and the loser goes home. And it's on not the just last two, game of the season. And it wasn't just two teams, right? It was Nug Life versus Frozen Hell. And it that was... was the most incredible part of this is that the way the, way the game started. It was just jitters. Oh. It was just like this drunken, chaotic, jittery mess of a basketball game. And finally, guys kind of got their, their legs under them, and things started to get away from the Nuggets. So what did they do? They just mucked it up and just made it chaos again. And that was really the story of this game was... Nothing was clean about it. No. Nothing was coherent about it. Nothing really made complete sense about it. It was just complete and utter amazing chaos no, for the last game of the season. Neither team was really able to do what they wanted to do so much as the best players on these teams were able to step up. Uh, Towns and Butler were awesome for Minnesota. Um, obviously, Jokic was spectacular, um, depending on who you ask. Really. <laughs> 
But if, if, Shout snotty. If Shout. You, if you have eyeballs and you're smart, he, he was spectacular. And so, you know, again, neither team was really running their half-court offense. Again, I, although the Wolves don't really have one. But they, they, it, you're right. It was super tense, super cluttered, um, hectic, but... Uh, playoff atmosphere for sure. Yes. You would not have known that this was just for the the eight or seventh seed. I mean, it almost felt. It like, felt like a game seven. Yeah, man, like a final like four game or like, something. Yeah, right? final four games. We were going to put it. That's actually what Chris Dempsey called it in the altitude pregame show. It was like it feels like this is a March Madness matchup 100%. in college basketball, yeah. and he was dead on. Um, but these pick and pods, what we like to do is we each bring three things to the table, and if you wanted to go ahead, what was your first thing you want to talk about? The topic of conversation from this game. So I want to talk about Nikola Jokic's third quarter, seventeen points seven for seven from the field three for three from deep obviously if you were watching it wasn't just seven for seven it was the seven shots he took in Taj Gibson's mouth yeah Uh, he was unguardable and Jokic if you watch him consistently you know how good he is if you look at the advanced numbers you know how kind they are to him sometimes the knock on him is that he doesn't pass the eye test as one of the guys right one of those super assertive alpha guys who can just take over the game with his bucket getting ability and with sheer willpower and as as phenomenal as Jokic has been at times in his career I thought this was the best example that third quarter was greatness and not qualified greatness. There's no preface there. I'm talking LeBron, Durant, Westbrook greatness. Yeah. I really am. You're talking about everything on the line with four years, almost five years of without playoffs and just sadness in a, in a, in a season. Coming into this Nuggets team when they only won 30 games throughout the season and the players are on the line. So Nikola Jokic is a 23-year-old kid from Sambor, Serbia, who had not shown a killer instinct much at all in his career, decided, you know what? Screw this. I'm taking this ball. I am going to shove it down your throat, and I am going to be the one to rack up these points and keep my team in this game. It was badass. I mean, you see guys pull up for jumpers in high leverage situations, and guys like Lillard, right? Yeah. Before they even take the shot, you just kind of know it's going in. Jokic was like that for 12 minutes. Yeah, Jokic hit that three (laughs) to beat the shot clock buzzer, turning away from the rim in the most unorthodox, awkward-looking fashion. Like, his feet were, like, together, and he managed to get this three-pointer off, and the second left his hand, I was just like, that, that, that's going to drop. Not even Nuggets fans are used to seeing him in that kind of a zone. So I know, ultimately, some people will point to the way things fell apart late in the fourth and in overtime. He did, he was visibly frustrated with Gibson's physicality and the lack of foul calls. But just to me, if you watch that game and your takeaway is Jokic choked... Uh, you got to reevaluate and reexamine how you watch basketball. Yeah, I just don't agree with that. All, man. all I saw was greatness, so that was my first thing, TJ. Yeah, and my thing is too is that these this is a Nuggets team that has not been to the playoffs before. So when a playoff whistle becomes prevalent, it is going to be something that has to be adapted to and accounted for. Yeah. If you don't know how to account for it or have no point of reference for how to deal with it, it is going to be a shock to the system at first. And this was the first game of this caliber where it's, it's a play-in. There's already foul trouble. The refs are not going to foul guys out right. on ticky-tack foul. They're not going to give you the softer fouls where you're trying to just swipe up through guys' arms to get fouls called. Those don't fly in the playoffs nearly as much, and that lesson for Nikola Jokic to learn is going to be so important for him down the line when this Nuggets team does eventually get back into the playoff picture. I'm glad you brought that up. We About a month ago, I think Jokic told us that he's good. He, he recognizes he needs to try and complain to the refs a little less, and I hope he watches this game back because I do think... Um, <laughs> I think he took himself out of the game more than Gibson or the refs did. I think he Jokic is the kind of guy who will play for the whistle. And it's one thing to use your opponent's physicality against them and a, a, a whistle-happy ref against your opponent. But at a certain point, you have to recognize that you aren't getting the calls and you just have to get back to playing basketball. Yeah. And I thought he shied away from that a little bit. But There was there was actually a really good example I wanted to get to. Sorry, I don't mean to no, cut no, you go off ahead, just go very, ahead. very briefly. Yeah. Um, in that game, in this Wolves game, there was a point in the third quarter where Nikola Jokic thought he drew a foul and irately was talking to the officials and did not get back in, on defense. Once he finally did, he tried to draw a foul and they called a blocking foul instead. It would have been Towns' fourth, but instead it was Nikola Jokic's fourth. Yeah. And I bet you almost anything that that call could have gone the other direction if Nikola Jokic is not so vehemently trying to go after an official on the other end, literally the play before it. Yeah. And that is when these things matter, is that these the stakes are as high as they get. You have to get back on defense and have your conversations well, during timeouts and TV breaks. And also, you're so damn good at basketball. And so when you're in a zone like that, screw the refs, screw the whistles. Okay, that play didn't go your way. Stay focused. 
because no one can stop you right now but you. So I do, you know, that turned into us sort of criticizing him a little bit. But I just wanted to say that that third quarter was a different type of greatness. And it wasn't just the third quarter. The fourth quarter as well, he was doing great things. I mean, he was 14 of 25 from the field in 46 minutes. Like, Nikola Jokic is a guy that people laughed when they said that he could play 40 minutes in a game last year. Like, they wasn't even part of the conversation, let alone find a way to shoot 14 of 25 and 4 of 7 from 3 in the most important game of the year and put up 35 points. So he was one of the only two guys in the first half that really had it going. The other was Will the Thrill. Barton, I know yes. you wanted to touch on him in your pick and pod. I, I definitely wanted to talk about Will Barton because he has literally taken over the mantle of the emotional leader of this team. He has set the pace for the Nuggets throughout the year, especially throughout this six-game uh, winning streak that they went on before losing to the Wolves, but he really embodied the emotional stamina and the intensity that this Nuggets team played with throughout their last seven games of the season, and without Will Barton just completely stepping up when he needed to... The Nuggets don't even remotely sniff a chance to win yeah. this game. There were so many moments where the Nuggets were just falling apart and Will Barton would get a tough and one or hit a big three in transition or something just random. And his 5 of 10 from three is really what kept the, the Denver Nuggets in this game, in my opinion. And he was a baller in the first half. God, he was, was. It was that confident Will where, you know, for all the swagger Will has, sometimes he, he has his ups and downs, right? He's a very streaky basketball player. But when Barton's feeling it, you can tell right away. And you start to feel it too. Oh, and yeah. And I could feel it through the TVB, man. Every shot he was taking, I think Nuggets fans felt good about. Um, he was exceptional. And, you know, when in a game in which Harris was hobbled and Murray wasn't himself, you know, Barton really is the next guy up to step up as a scorer yeah. and a bucket getter. And I thought at least in the first half, TJ, he did that exceptionally well. And I thought he was still strong in the second half, too. He wasn't as explosive, obviously, but he was still so important. And in the overall optics of this game, if you take out the fact that Jimmy Butler got tons of star calls to finish this fourth quarter in overtime, you pretty much get... Will Barton playing Jimmy Butler to a wash. Like, if you can get Will Barton to play at the same level as Jimmy Butler and produce at the same amount, not really on both ends, but to a point to where you can make the argument, that's all you need. And that was so important for the Nuggets to be able to beat in this game because Jimmy Butler, without going 10 of 13 from the free throw line tonight, well, Will Barton tonight, sorry, the day after, and Will Barton only going 1 of 3 from the free throw line, that's the only discrepancy that I thought that was that different between the two. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I do have one, this is my second pick and pod point, one bone to pick with Will Barton. And And this is deserved in my opinion. And I'm not hammering him because I ultimately think he he ended up taking a decent shot, but when Paul Millsap drove with, um, this was in overtime, yeah, like just about two minutes left, and, and Paul Millsap caught the ball, he was driving towards the basket a little recklessly, it looked like he slipped, he was hurtling out of bounds. He basically chucks the ball back up over his shoulder, knowing Barton's somewhere near the top of the key. Ball falls in Barton's hands. He's got a wide-open three to take the lead. He's been hot all night, and a thing I keep saying, TJ, there's a good chance Will Barton's literally the most confident man in the city of Denver. So I was positive he was going to take that three-pointer. I thought he should have taken that three-pointer. It's it's rare to see Will, I don't want to use the word scared, but just pass to defer in that moment. And so he ended up driving, short-arming a floater. And of course, the Nuggets go on to lose. I'm not putting it all on Barton. He played a great game. And if that floater drops, it's you know, a tie game. It's a tie point. game. So it's, it's, this wasn't the pivotal moment. But I, I it's, it's interesting to see that. It's a notable, it, absolutely it's notable. It's the surprise, because Barton's the kind of guy who you're kind of hoping would take less shots. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, you want to know... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, 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 that's it. That's my... Yeah. So you want to know who took plenty of shots tonight? The centers in this game. My thing watching this game tonight, watching Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic go at each other, for everybody who's saying that the big man is dying in the NBA, they have not watched enough basketball, man. No, the big man's changed, but remember about five or six years ago when that was the narrative? It was absolutely the narrative. And now, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, um, Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, Tamarcus Cousins, even some of the lesser guys, Miles Turner. 
Uh, dude, Bam Adebayo needs Bam to be Adebayo. on that list. DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre still on Jordan that. has There's... been very good. Rudy Gobert has been so much better offensively than anybody thought and possible. Who could possibly be the number one pick in the draft this year? DeAndre Ayton. So centers are very much alive and, and still just using them in the, the right way. Yes. And I think it's that, that that was what I noticed in this game. Carl yeah. Anthony Towns in 47 minutes was 12 of 19 from the field for 26 points and 14 rebounds to go with two assists. He is so good. Holy shit. He is so good. That dunk in the first quarter, I, oh. I, I thought the game was over. I almost went home and just like finished up. It was done. I mean, that's how small forwards dunk. I God, mean, it was. He, he it looked like it LeBron. Back, that yeah. was a LeBron kind of extension. It back below his waist and just yammed it. Effortless. Yeah. And then on top of that, you get Nikola Jokic putting up 35, 10, and 3. I thought Jokic had a better game. I did too. Yeah. And I think that like it was just so fun to watch. Two big men, not just battle in the post, which they did, and it was wonderful to watch. They battled down low in the post, but to battle on the perimeter, to take each other off the bounce, to try and outplay make each other. Like, there were so many facets to this game in which Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns were battling it out, and it was so much fun. And the fact that we get Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic in the same division for likely the next seven years, that it, or six years, that is going to be so much fun. Like, that is just incredible basketball, and I am so happy that that is a part of the NBA, and it needed to be stated just how awesome these two big men were, these two young big men were in this game. I agree, but I think we could have expected both of those guys to be good. I think we expected Jimmy Butler to play well. I was surprised, TJ, by how well Andrew Wiggins played in this game. <laughs> you want to know what's funny? What's that? I wasn't that surprised, and that's a hot take. I have the hot take, not you. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I he shows up for big games. You're right. Even that, at Kansas, he did it too. That's the irony in the in the Wiggins sort of uh, like how maligned he is. Yeah, is, is that over the course of '82, he does not live up to that contract. But you're right. If you ask Wolves folks, his reputation in these games actually is that he does play well. Yes. Um, I'm. I only still say, surprised. Still I say surprised. surprised because he was so bad in the last matchup between these two teams, and we talked about that on that podcast. And I thought that along with Butler's absence, was what allowed the Nuggets to squeak out with a win. Um, this last game was the opposite, right? All, all those those open shots for Wiggins um, that could have swung the game one way or another, he hit them all, and he hit those free throws at the end. I thought he played good defense. And so, yeah, but I think the Nuggets could have easily survived a typical night from Towns and Butler, but I thought the the straw that broke the camel's back was was Wiggins playing well. I agree with that. I, I absolutely agree with that. Did you have anything else you want to say on Wiggins? Because I want to transition that into my next point. But did Just you... that it was kind of cool to see him do that. Finally I... show his potential kind of thing. Yeah, also, like, I, it's not that the criticism's unfair or unwarranted. Like, when you sign a $150 million contract, the bar has been raised. Yeah. The standards are different. But Wiggins has taken a lot of shit this year. And I'm from a guy who not four years ago was being heralded as a generational type of dude. It, it was nice to see him deliver to send those fans into the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, the thing that I wanted to get to next that directly relates to Andrew Wiggins is how historically bad Wilson Chandler was. Woof. And when I say historically bad, I don't mean as that as a hyperbole. There have been only two other players outside of Wilson Chandler in the history of the NBA going back to the 66-67 season that scored zero points in 48 minutes or more. Wow. Like, when you have Jamal Murray put up 20 points up against Jeff Teague's 17, you have Will Barton put up 24 up against Butler's 31, even considering all the star calls he was getting, even Paul Millsap putting 10 up against Taj Gibson's 8, and Nikola Jokic putting up the 35 to Towns' 26. When Andrew Wiggins has 18 points and Wilson Chandler has 0, you can definably and exactly look at the box score and be like, that is where things were lost for Denver. If they would have gotten anything from Wilson Chandler offensively tonight, this is not the same outcome. Or even defensively. I he mean, was not good defensively. I, I agree with you there. We talked about how Wiggins was hit his open shots, but Wiggins was open for a lot of shots. And we talked about how Jimmy Butler got to the free throw line yeah. so often. You want to know who was defending him then as well? It was Wilson Chandler. And Chandler's typically a good defender. I've tried to have been very uh, defensive we both have. on that yeah. end. But look, in many ways, Wilson was not who the Nuggets needed him to be this year. He was not who they needed him to be last night. Yeah, and he, he had good stretches throughout the year, and we did give him credit for when he did have good stretches, which is why we need to be correct that 
when there is something bad that he does, when it was this clearly a negative from him that directly related to the Nuggets' loss, it needs to be spoken about. And it was. Like, you, you can't look at this any other way and be like, you know what, the Nuggets would have won in this way or that way. If you get anything from Wilson Chandler, the Nuggets likely come away with a win in this game. What's curious to me about Chandler is when and why he struggles. Because I, it's there's sort of this narrative that's emerged that he doesn't care. And I think his demeanor can sort of... Uh, lend itself to that. Like, it'll help you draw that conclusion, but I don't know if it... Like, Jokic today, unsolicited in the exit interviews, said, you, you know, I know that that's thing, something that people say about Chandler, but he works really hard, he tries, he cares, and he plays his ass off. Uh, I, like, I don't think Chandler doesn't care, but at the same time, TJ, don't you feel like it does seem like there are stretches of the season where he's just a completely different player? Just checked out? Listen, there is, this has literally been the tale of two Chandlers this year. Yeah. Before the trade deadline, I mean, he was not around the team as often as he was earlier. He was not as involved in shoot-arounds. He was not as clearly giving everything he had on both ends of the floor. There was some vague injury. Like, the yeah. illness was Yeah, because he went from sick to not sick to right back to sick to migraines. Right. There was just so much weird stuff before the trade, which happens in the NBA. Yeah. And we don't know everything, and we're not trying to speculate on what we do or do not know. These are just the things that we did see happening as we were going throughout this. Case we'll but then it. he comes back after the trade deadline and was just gangbusters. He was so good for a month after the tra- about three weeks after the trade deadline. And this last six games, he was very good defensively, and he gave them some offense. This game against the Wolves was completely the representative of how he played before the trade deadline. Yeah, it was opinion. just like Jekyll and Hyde, and he went right back to the to the wrong half. And of it hurt, equation. man. And yeah. even out of the players who also didn't score any points in 48 minutes of playing time, he had the least amount of rebounds and least amount of defensive impact as well. I just like, forgot. He just didn't give enough. I forgot which one, like Jekyll and Hyde. Which one's the bad one? I don't know. <laughs> They're both chaos. And I'm just he was the, the bad one last night. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I is that I think that's all. I, that's actually yeah. That's it for the pick and pod. That is it for the pick and pod. But this but. is a this is a full episode of the Nuggets Daily here, TJ, because this is the last episode of the regular season, bro. We Crazy. don't know who will be back as far as the Nuggets go. Hell, you and I don't even know necessarily where we'll be next season. So uh, let's talk a little bit, man. We had exit interviews today in the Pepsi Center. Uh, typically, in these situations, this is more of a funeral and a formality. <laughs> Uh, we did, you know, the, the players were transparent with us today. Yeah, I got I two, like two and a half hours of talking to people today Almost overall. Almost too much. <laughs> it was a lot. Like, you Michael Malone <laughs> spoke for like 17, 18 minutes. Jamal Murray spoke for like 11 minutes. Like, the people were definitely getting into the weeds of what was going on. And one of the biggest things that I wanted to get on first, that, that honestly, it took me... It took me aback the most. It was the thing that like kind of like caught me off guard and made me double take. Was the was Paul Millsap was asked about what his rehab will look like this off season for his wrist, and he said, "Well, you know, I haven't been a hundred percent since I came back, which we you know you, you could look and tell that was the case." Yep. He then said something else. This is what the this is paraphrasing, but this is what Millsap said. The doctors tell me that it could be about a year before I get back to a hundred percent healthy. Yeah, a year. Yeah. Uh, nobody had heard that time frame. Yeah. It was three months. Which is why... A year. Which is why, as we speculated at the time, it's all sort of fairly obvious in hindsight. That's why they were so coy with us about it and tempering expectations. Because the fact is, they rushed Millsap back. They did. And they had to, I think. And you go back and you look at it, and you know his comments today just confirm what we also suspected. You watch him try to go to his left at all in this last month. He couldn't. I mean, Millsap was playing with one He hand. dove for a ball, a loose ball against the Wolves and yeah. fell on his left hand and immediately had that shock of pain through his body and went to the bench immediately after. I mean, this defense, it's passing, it's dribbling, even, even shooting just like the post moves, just the threat of being able to go to your left. Defenders didn't have to worry about that. I mean, this was a hindered Millsap. It was. We didn't really talk about that enough as it was happening. But it was it's really obvious, and, and he stressed today, like, this was the most difficult year of Millsap's uh, career, not just because it was the first major injury, because he didn't like the way he played when he returned. Like, Millsap is used to playing at very high levels, and so the, the Millsap you saw down the stretch while he helped this team... I don't think that's Paul Millsap. I think he's a better player. Than and that. I think what was interesting is that even though he called this season the hardest of his career, he also said that this season was not a failure. No. In fact, he called it a success. Yes. In explicit terms. And that's the, th- the thing I wanted to get into next is that 
a very common thread that we already kind of touched on briefly was that this Nuggets team understands that it took everything to keep them out of the playoffs. Yep. It took Millsap missing 44 games. It took Gary Harris missing 11 games, or even more than that. He missed a couple more earlier in the year. Jamal Murray missed a game. Wilson Chandler missed it games. Took, it took Nikola Jokic missed games. It took seven other teams losing like five combined games in the final. Like so, before the last day of the regular season, every single team that the Nuggets needed to lose to be able to gain ground went 13 and 0 in three days. That's that's what happened in the Western absurd. Conference. That's like absurd. it doesn't make sense. Like on the, so the third the last day of the regular season, the Nuggets just needed one of the top three seeds in the West to win. The Rockets, the Warriors, and the Trailblazers could just get one win. All three lost. The irony in the Warriors getting banged, I remember when I saw the news, and I saw the Warriors were starting to get banged up, and Curry was injured. And your first thought is, wow, this could have huge implications on the playoffs. Never thought it would have such big implications on the playoff race. Yes. You know? It's so it, true. That really hurt the Nuggets directly. Yep. And then, like, you and then you even have teams, like, it was one of those things where everything that could have gone wrong for the Nuggets did go wrong, and it still took an overtime game in Minnesota against Jimmy Butler on a mission to get this Nuggets team to eventually not make the playoffs. Yep, they were that close. And But because of that, all these, the, everybody that was talking, to get back to my original point, that spoke today was like, listen, like, we understand how close we were and that it was right there and that while we could have done more to get there ourselves and this was not them trying to put an excuse onto why they did not make the playoffs they were just cognizant of the fact that these playoffs are these injuries ruined a lot of their ability to be as good as they could be yeah i think it was gary harris and a couple of other guys dismissed the question and i, I get a competitor's sort of and uh, there are those guys and who that's a good reaction that yeah question. whatever right jimmy butler was hurt whatever but I, I can. I'm a blogger. I will. And and that's why I was relieved to see Millsap. He was very transparent about it today. And when they said, what's the biggest thing you guys need to do to make the leap next season? He said it three times. Stay healthy. Yep. And here's why. I, I This is, sounds like... I, I know it's the worst thing to hear when your team doesn't make the playoffs. But if they had stayed healthy, they're a 50-win team. I, I really think so. Yeah, they are that close. I mean, they, they were 30 seconds away from being a 47-win team this and year. And so... I agree with with Paul that it's it's those injuries. A, a hot topic of discussion today was not losing the gimme games, and yeah, that's part of the formula for a playoff team, without a doubt. And if the Nuggets just win one of those bad losses, they're in. But I also want to point out that Minnesota had those bad losses. The Thunder actually debatably had more than the Nuggets did. It, it you you could point to the Atlanta loss or TJ. You could just point to the Timberwolves loss. And if they win in overtime, they're in, and none of those losses matter. So, <laughs> I, I I I I like the way Millsap framed this season. Especially because there's all these young guys in this locker room that have something to prove. It's a Nuggets team that hasn't experienced success. To see a veteran come in and just sort of state it matter-of-factly, like, no, this was a good season and we'll be healthy next year, that was that was nice. That was encouraging because, I, I don't know, call me crazy, but I think missing your best player for 100 days matters. Yeah, and you're right about what you were talking about with other teams that lost to other bad teams. Uh, the Nuggets had lost to fewer teams under 500 this year than Minnesota and Oklahoma City. Yeah. And they were in line with most playoff teams. Yeah. They also went 15-15 and 15 versus West playoff teams, 8-3 and three versus the Pelicans, Thunder, and Blazers combined, and 7-9 and nine against East yeah. playoff teams. And they played... And Moses were on the road. And they played really well against the Thunder... They played pretty well against the Pelicans. They played really well against Golden State. I mean, yeah. all these good teams. Like it, honestly, it, it, it people are going to despise me for even using this word. There was some really bad luck with when wins and losses occurred. Yep. And the timing. It just, and when injuries occurred, it was an imperfect storm. I mean, we can you can make the argument that just Gary Harris not having this knee injury. At the very end of the season, yeah, they you won have those eleven games, games of tonight, Gary Harris, even though they won most of them. I mean, and like, he had some some timely layups through contact, Harris. But look, that wasn't Gary Harris last night. Yeah, and I know Jimmy Butler was was injured as well. But I I, <laughs> I think when Will Barton and Gary Harris are in the starting lineup and everyone's healthy, I think this is a filthy starting lineup. Well, the numbers, I can't remember what they exactly are, but I wrote an article on it that's on My Life Sports somewhere. It's, it's in the depths, but Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Jamal Murray sharing the court together is just an insanely good lineup. It is. Th look, man, this is a good basketball team. Flat out. Th just flat out. You don't have to qualify it. There's a chance if things go well in the summer, which we'll get to, that they're a great basketball team. Um, we'll find out, but I, I would just... Before you start uh, trying to send heads rolling here, just keep in mind that we haven't seen this team be healthy yet. Yeah, and I think that's 
I mean, one last thing, and then we'll get off this injuries thing. But Michael Malone has never had the opportunity of a healthy lineup to actually get used to. I know. Everyone bashes his rotations. Give me a... I, I, so I was talking to a Nuggets front office member. There were only 23 games this year where all five starters were healthy. Yeah. 23! And guys were taking turns being like... Like Wilson, like Wilson Chandler one day was completely different from Wilson Chandler exactly. the other day. Those rotations, I mean, Malone's hand was stretched pretty thin this And year. not just that, even when the starters were healthy, Mason Plumlee's out for nine games with a calf injury or right. something. It was just never a moment where they actually had an opportunity to be cohesive since he started as a head coach four years ago. So ultimately, could they have still gotten themselves in? Yes. Should they have still gotten themselves in? Yes. But there are still reasons yeah, as to why they could look, have been closer. We're not we're not high school football coaches. Injuries matter. Like I hate that take. Yeah. Oh, no, no excuses. I, it's an excuse. So yeah, next man up means that you got worse. Yeah, like let's just be clear for what this actually right. is. That's ex- but it's a great point. The, the, <laughs> the next man was on the bench for a reason. Uh, let's move into the next thing real quick. Yeah, one of my big takeaways was Jamal Murray's just like you could just tell immediately the second he stepped out of the locker room that they're like that dude was just ready to come back and kill people next year. Yeah, he was pissed and not like uh, pissed at us or or. Or disrespectful, just like you said, like a competitor. That's uh, he's just ready to kill people next that year. Loss Everybody is already a log burning inside of him, feeling the fire as he approaches this summer. And um, yeah, he's a killer, man. He's just well. The first words out of his mouth today were, "I just can't wait to get back to work." Yeah, I don't even remember what the question was. Me either. He yeah. was just like, "I just want to get I'm back just, to work." And he used the word "excited," and he meant it. Like I love. He said that multiple times. Yep. It's like some players are like, "Okay, it's the off time, so I should use it well." Murray like was Harris excited did. to Gary have Harris off was ready time. to get the hell out of yeah. there. So, you know, and I worry a little bit with this Nuggets team, like they don't have a ton of alphas, and there's almost something too lackadaisical and passive about them. And it's Murray is the one guy I'm not worried about. Like, Never. he's going to be in the gym. He's yes. going to be in the gym. And not only that, he didn't just say that he was ready to get, re- get ready to get working again literally 18 hours after losing their playoff spot and the season ending. He also said what his new goal for the year is going to be. Which is? <laughs> Jamal Murray wants to shoot from three what he shoots from three uh, from the free throw line. Jamal Murray sees no reason why he should not be able to hit threes at the exact same clip that he hits free throws. Jamal Murray shot 90.5% from the free throw line this year. <laughs> yeah, there's year. actually a very good reason, and that's impossible. That's a good, that's the reason. My favorite reason is because you're not being guarded when you're shooting free yeah. throws. That's why they are free. Yeah, they're, uh... <laughs> it's just a... so amazing to hear. And he said it, and then he looked at us, didn't smile. Right. Didn't even, like, blink too much. Just kind of, like, waited for the next question. Like, it was just a completely normal thing to say that someone wants to shoot 90% from three. Yeah. God, uh, that guy just No, no, that's best. a great quote. It's. I mean, obviously, he's not. <laughs> no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but, but it does speak to, like, the mindset of Jamal Murray. I agree. I agree. Murray is... Um, Psychopath is what he is. Yeah, he's one of those dudes, man. He, he's got that Kobe, Michael Jordan, like... And I was saying he is them. But there is qualities that these insane mental players have within them. I think there's a difference between being in love with basketball and being obsessed with winning, and I think Murray falls into that latter category. You know what's funny? I think it's both. Well, yeah, yeah. I genuinely think that, like, Jamal Murray, like, you could be playing skee-ball, and if he loses, he's going to throw the skee-ball at you. Yeah, he's competitive. Yeah, but at the same time, basketball means everything to him. Alright, so Murray is going to be back next year. We can expect him to get better. Let's talk about two guys where we're not so sure. Well, shit, the rest of everything we're going to be talking about is essentially that. You're right. So, uh, <laughs> one guy there's been tons of questions about this year because no one really knows how this shit works is one Tory Craig, who was on a two-way contract. Um, TJ, I know you broke some news recently from High Sports. Do you yes. want to elaborate on that so if the nuggets were going to make the playoffs the nuggets were not going to convert tory craig uh contract from a two-way deal into a full nba deal so that would have made him ineligible for the playoff roster with that being said it is clear that the nuggets like him the front office likes him the coaching staff likes him the actual players on the roster like him there is clearly i like him uh, i mean he's a nice guy listen i've probably <laughs> written like nine tory craig pieces and yeah. he averaged like four points a game yeah, yeah. like there's something about tory craig that has grabbed fans attention it has grabbed all kinds of people's attention right so now we look ahead and tory craig this was the only year on his two-way deal he is now a restricted free agent technically so the nuggets can match anything that people offer to him the real question is going to be how the rest of the money works out for Denver and how much money they have to keep him. 
Uh, Wilson Chandler has an opt-out, which we'll talk about soon enough. Uh, Will Barton may be gone, which we'll talk about soon enough as well. Richard Jefferson and Devin Harris are also unre unrestricted free agents, which we'll talk about in a second as well. So there is a plenty of, of different scenarios in which there could be a way for Torrey Craig to end up on the Nuggets roster next year. What needs to be understood is that even though the Nuggets value him very, very highly, their financial situation is dire. They have a ton of money going out, and they are almost hard-capped at this point because if they pay any more into the tax this coming year, they will, they will only have the, um, the mid-level exception, uh, the taxpayer mid-level exception left to even sign a player. So they're about hard-capped at this point. There might not be a scenario where Denver can bring back Torrey Craig. Yeah, and he was asked today what he thought about his time here and if he'd like to be back, and he said, yeah, I enjoyed it. He liked the fans. He liked his teammates. But this is a crazy league. This is a crazy business. And and he understands that. That's he important. understands that. And he also understands that he doesn't understand how his own contract works. He was asked, that was so funny. He was asked, what, do you have any clue what's next for you? And he said, I have no clue. I literally have he no He truly clue. doesn't know. So uh, there's a chance Torrey Craig plays basketball for a different organization. Uh, that would be a bummer. And it would be. But good on the Nuggets for giving him the opportunity to show what he can do. Yeah, and good on him for taking advantage of it, man. Absolutely. I, I think this Absolutely. was a guy. You, we've articulated this before. You wrote many good pieces on this very thing, but probably too many. He took a, a risk when he came to try out for the Nuggets. There was not a guarantee that this would, is how it would shake out. You want to so, know what a guarantee is now? What? Torrey Craig has the ability to be an NBA player, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about <clears throat> it anymore. Like yeah. Torrey Craig is an NBA caliber player. Yeah, good for him, man. Good Here for him. Man. Uh, another guy who I think is. You know, we've watched, I think, the general, like, the collective opinion on certain individuals really change throughout the course of the year. It's been up and down for guys like Malone, guys like Will Barton. Uh, Will Barton, who was hot to start the year and a revelation before he became, in his own words, the fall guy for this fan hmm. base. Um, then he was excellent when they needed him last night. And so, uh, TJ, Will Barton is going to head into unrestricted free agency, having turned down that extension offer. I think the question on everyone's minds, which we don't have a definitive answer to, but I'll pose to you uh, just sort of speculative, is Will Barton going to be a Nugget next year? I think what this comes down to is one of Wilson Chandler or Will Barton will be in a Nuggets uniform tomorrow and the other will not. Yeah. Like, that that's really what this comes down to for me because Wilson Chandler's player option of $12.6 or whatever the hell it is, that player option will strap Denver. Flat out. And they'll have to make some serious trades with teams who will want more than what Denver is willing to offer to be able to move the money. Because if Wilson opts in and he comes back, to bring Barton back, the Nuggets would have to go into the tax. No, there are, so, they're, they're already in the tax. So let's they put it... I'll outline it this way. So if, if you want a deeper analysis, go right now on MileHighSports.com and read my whole offseason breakdown that I have posted right now. But essentially what it is, is let's just assume that Chandler opts in. Darrell Arthur opts in, which there's no way Arthur does not opt in to yeah. a $7 million deal. Get them checks. Buddy. That's going to happen. Yeah. And Nikola Jokic gets his max contract. So with all of those things set, without Will Barton's extension, the Nuggets will be $9 million in the tax already. Okay. So they're not going to add an extension on top of that. <laughs> so, the, so that's so. the thing. You will not, you're not going to pay more tax money, a bigger percentage of a contract, yeah. for Torrey Craig and the tax. And that's not a shot at Torrey Craig or Will Barton, but ownership does not go out of their way to pay a percentage on top of a contract for guys that don't completely move the needle like all-star caliber players do. And this hypothetical contract we're talking about right now, are we talking about the same size as the one he turned down, like 442, 442? Oh, Barton, this is Barton not signed. This is zero money for Barton. This is Barton not signed at all. No, no, but what I'm, saying, what I'm saying, if the Nuggets are looking to re-sign Barton... Is is it gonna do you in your <laughs> eyes? Is it a similar number because the market's kind of dry? People don't have a lot of money. Is he gonna get much more than that? And that's the that, that's the big question. Yeah. Now. Because let's just say that it's that Bull Barton goes out there and he gets offered, um, so four forty two is what he was gonna get offered. Let's say someone offers him four years forty four and calls it a flat eleven, which was more than he would have gotten. It's an extra five hundred grand a year. If it's a bad team, I would not be surprised if Will Barton came back and took four years, forty million from Denver and took less money. Yeah, me either. And because then that's the thing. I think Denver needs to start playing hardball too. Was it you who asked him today? Just w would you want to come back? And he, it wasn't me. Someone else asked that yeah. question. He wants to be here. He does, and I think you can. T and he, when he says that, that's not just him saying that because he's standing there in front of us in the moment. I think Will Barton built some really valuable f relationships here. Yeah, I think NBA basketball became fun. To Will Barton again. That's a really Denver. good way to put it. And I think that that, like, 
he likes playing with these guys. And so if unless he's positive, unless he and his agent are positive that a major payday is out there, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back on a reasonably team-friendly deal. But to your point, TJ, will the Nuggets have room for that anyway? And, I, and they want him back. They do want him I, back. I think they need him back. I think they do too. And that's that was why I brought it up in the pick and pot at the top of this podcast was that Will Barton's shot creation individually, his ability to make plays for others, his length that he can at least play with, we so can at least be disruptive in passing lanes. So he started last night. That, w- that was his 40th start of the year, I believe. Uh, Could have yeah, been his 39th. It was his 40th. So prior to that start... There were only two guys in the league who had started less than 40 games, but were still putting up 15, 5, and 4. It was Tyreek Evans and it was Will Barton. Yep. At that point, Tyreek Evans hadn't played a lot of games. I mean, that's what well, my point being that starter level production um, yeah. from a six man who wore many different hats for a team that needed those hats to be worn. So, uh, yeah, man, it is. Are there more ideal players out there in a perfect world? Maybe, but you're always talking about. Like if you, you know, when you're talking about firing a coach, the next question is who's the hire. So if you're going to tell me, well, I don't think Will Barton makes the Nuggets better. Well, who are you bringing in instead that does? Because Wancho and Torrey Craig combined is not going to be enough. You don't know that's going to be enough. And I don't, I will not bet money that it would be enough. And man, because we don't know what the wing depth looks like. We don't know what the shooting guard depth looks like. And guess what question is all of a sudden up in the air again? Backup point guard. Who filled that role when they literally didn't have another option? Will Barton. I mean, he is the... What did, what did Chris Haynes say in that piece? The human putty for Denver? I mean, dude, he... he You can... Any leak that springs, they use him to plug it up. So that would be a, a major loss. And even beyond that, any leak that springs in terms of how guys hang out together and the actual interactions and chemistry of this locker room, that also flows through Will Barton. Yeah. Gary Harris is best friends with Will Barton. Jamal Murray and Will Barton... Has the, like, that tandem has been a big reason that Jamal Murray has grown into his own. And you know what, man? There's really not a, a ton of personality in that locker room. I, in my opinion, Will Barton is that Will Barton is that person. That's why he became the emotional leader of this team yeah. over this over that six game winning streak and this last loss to Minnesota. He embodied exactly the way that Denver Nuggets wanted to play. And then just on a personal note, which you know, part of our jobs is not getting tied to these guys personally, but we go there with a job to do. This is our work. And Will Barton made it easy for us. He was respectful. He was kind. He was available. What The first thing I learned when I started coming into a locker room was like, this is weird. Like, these guys just competed. In many cases, the game was a big deal. They're naked. And the second they get dressed, they turn around, and it's a bunch of nerds shoving cameras and mics. Yeah. If I was in a bad mood, I would probably sound like a dick, too. Yeah. And so I, I give, know I would. I give players the benefit of the doubt. And, and so I just, you know, not that he's going to listen to this, but just I just want the fans to know. From our perspective, Will Barton's a stand-up dude. He's beyond a stand-up dude. He's the realest that it gets. Like I, 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 everybody who has been able to cover him is blessed that they were able to cover the preacher Will Barton and his sermons in the post-game yep. locker room after the game. And they because all... there's nothing better than a win and the sermons that Will Barton would give in his press games. It so was amazing. I love his. We wish him the best if we don't see him again, but we hope we do. Absolutely. All right. Um, that... Finally. Yes, Richard Jefferson and Devin Harris. Actually, we're almost there. Really fun. I'll try to give you a little context for this. Malik (laughs) Beasley was speaking for about seven minutes, which was probably three minutes too long. And uh, Richard (laughs) Jefferson and Devin Harris just decided that the interview was over. They came over (laughs) and they kicked the de facto rookie out of there. And um, they gave the veteran speech instead. It was pretty funny. Uh, Richard Jefferson, man... You're going to see a lot of quotes and articles from me in the near future from Richard Jefferson after that, like, just serenading damn quotes that he gave us. Man, My he, God. He loved, like, the line between, like, funny guy and God, I hate this dude. Like, he lives to flirt with that it's thing. It's amazing. He can't stop talking. Um, But, sorry, what were you going to say uh, about what he had to say? Oh, well, I don't even care what he had to say. I, I'll, I'll write about that later. My favorite part of everything that had to do with Richard Jefferson was he was asked if he had a future in TV and broadcasting. <laughs> so he decided... To look at the camera, steal the microphone from Ali Sturm in front of him, and stare directly into the camera and start speaking into it as if he was not going no, no, to I be. I don't see any future for myself. Oh, it was incredible. By the way, I'll be on the jump tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he's funny, man. He's a funny dude. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Richard Jefferson took the opposite approach of everybody else. He said that the Nuggets should not feel like this year was an accomplishment. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting, and I think it's something that is needed for this team because they need one asshole in that locker room. He'd be like, yeah. nah, you you lost. You're yeah. at home right now. Like, this is not an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like true. He won a, fuck, he's won a championship. Yeah. So this is, you know. He's the only one. Almost getting the eighth seed ain't shit. Um, Although, Devin Harris, 
He said he would be open to coming open to coming back. He it seemed like he genuinely enjoyed his time in Denver. Yeah, I uh he well he mentioned how grateful he was to play meaningful basketball down the stretch. I know he has ties to Dallas and it's clear they love him and it seems like he, he seemed loves happy them. to leave there he, though. Yeah, he seemed happy to get out of that type of basketball situation. Do you think that and this is so much this is so beyond like this is just speculation. Based on how the fans and media have talked about how much Dallas loves Devin Harris. I thought it was so interesting that Devin Harris did not reciprocate that love today when they were talking about it. Do you think everything that's gone on with Mark Cuban and all of the chaos within that, himself? the culture that has gone on in Dallas, he's like, you know what, I don't want to be affiliated with that it's, right now. It's unfair to read into non-answers, and it's almost unprofessional, but I know you tried to get some stuff from Harris. But he I didn't... asked him, and he was like, listen, man, I don't want to get into I'm it. I'm out like, of that there. Yeah, and that's that's what he said. He was like, I'm not there. I'm out of there. Yeah. He didn't say, like, things happen. Like, I don't know. He literally said, you know what, man, I'm out of there. I don't want to talk about well, it. Well, look, he may have personal relationships that are important to him that he established in Dallas. Yeah. But at the end of the day... When you're in your twilight years of your career, you're not the, on. You're not here for a rebuild. But this is different. Like I, when I was talking to Bobby Carella of Mavs.com, he told me that he would not be surprised if Dallas retired his jersey. That's how beloved he is in Dallas. And he may be beloved there, and he may love them. But but what did he say? It was awesome to play meaningful basketball down the stretch. There's not going to be any meaningful basketball played in Dallas yep. before Harris's career is up. True. So, it's possible that he's ready to turn that page for good. But yes, I did think that that little portion of Devin Harris's interview was interesting. Okay, final thing. Um, <laughs> we're getting deep. We're, we went one. long. Uh, okay, this is what we used to do. Um, Malone talked today. Believe it or not, the head coach. Is that what he does on exit interview day? So he spoke for a long time. At one point, he was asked what his feelings were. Is there any doubt in his mind? I can't remember how it was phrased, but will you be? Do you expect? Do to you be expect back to be back next, next year season? as the head coach? And Malone. T- Almost offended by the question. As he should be. Yeah. And listen, the, everybody was curious about that. And this isn't to say that there hasn't been conversations about this between media and all, a lot of other people. And th- th- we're not going to sit here and try and pretend like that isn't the case. There is a better way to go about that. And I was and I was actually, before he asked the question, <laughs> my plan was to ask him, like, how do you feel about going into the offseason without an extension, if that's the case? Right. And, you know, that's a lot more, you know, there's, there's more things you can have a conversation about, but... When Malone was asked that, his answer was, was when Malone was asked about being here next year, his even though the question may have been it wasn't bad, but it was also could have been treaded a little bit more delicately. The the answer was still very revealing, I thought. Yeah, and he said he said he basically said I can't even imagine why I wouldn't be right, and that's a massive paraphrase. It's not the words he used, but he's like. If there, if if there's a conversation that needs to be had there, then we've got bigger problems. Right? Yes, that's that the, that's what I remembered, and that yeah. was the part that stuck with me because what that tells me is that there has not been a conversation that Michael Malone's job may potentially be on the line. Yeah, there's there's which let's be real, his job should not be on the line at this point. It should not. Okay, be. so I agree with you because he won 46 games in the toughest division in basketball in the Western Conference, and Paul Millsap missed 100 days. Deep breath, but. Uh, they did fire George Carl after he won Coach of the Year and won 50-plus games. And then with those optics, sure, you're right. I'll, I'll give you that. But let's take the optics of, wow, he went to the playoffs for 10 straight years and got out of the first round once. Yeah, that's... At some point, you're like, all right, this is so damn infuriating. We're turning the page. I agree. Look, I, and I think... And plus, George Carl did not make things easy on anybody. I mean, I think even at Fire Malone on Twitter gave up on this take a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, God, that so guy we, sucks. We, you're uh, listening to this, man. You're the worst. Just stop um, getting in my damn mentions. Unless you're a big fan and you have rated or reviewed the podcast <laughs> then you're then you're much better i'm still good um, on my take you can hold on to yours <laughs> but no, he, yeah so i like i think we sort of turned the page on that malone earned the right to be back i think the real question is the question you wanted to ask has he earned an extension and yeah and like malone will say yes likely but at the same time we just don't know and so much of this comes down to the fact that the people with the money make the decisions not the people who have the right mindset yeah and that's not to say that josh Kroenke or stan Kroenke don't have the right mindset but they're not around the team like tim connelly is like right. that's you're not going to be because he's the president of basketball operations so it's just one of those things all right last thing i wanted to get to very very quickly there's a couple pieces up on mile high sports that i kind of wanted just to briefly touch on because it directly relates to what is going to be coming for the offseason and what you can expect from us coming up in our reporting as well so the first thing the barton sixth man of the year piece that you wrote which i thought was very interesting thanks it was a short piece um i hope it's clear that i hope you opened the piece instead of just reading the headline i'm not really arguing that barton should win the award i do think barton deserves some recognition at this point i'd have him second in the um I think it's tough. I think some people are turned off from the fact that he's he started as many games as you can start without 
making, <laughs> without, making yeah. yourself ineligible <laughs> for the award. So six man's a bit of a stretch, but I like what Malone had to say about him a few weeks ago, which was just how many guys in his position are being asked to do all the different things that he's been asked Isn't that for. what a six man is? I wish they would get rid of the six man title and make it utility player. I agree. Like, like they do in baseball. Yeah, I love the utility. And cause, because that's, I, I've used that phrase in my articles multiple times this year to describe Barton. He's a utility guy. And he was just, I mean, there's utility guys, and then there's utility guys who get you 15, 5, and 4 on efficient shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, really, really, really hard to replicate. And, um, you know, Ben Ben Falk of Cleaning the Glass wrote that great God, article. so many good things on that damn website. On Nikola Jokic. And he, ex- he articulated brilliantly this difficult concept to articulate of, of waiting when we're doing player evaluation. So I recognize that player X does some things really well and other things not so much. How we weight those things against each other is still something we're we're trying to figure out as basketball writers. Yeah, that's what gives you your bias. That, that, right. that is what separates some things for some people compared right. to others, so even though like, it can be the same weight for others. Right, so Jokic can look as bad as any player in the league on certain defensive possessions. But you factor in how good of a defensive rebounder he is, how much of a liability is he. Like, all these things are hard to weight. So, getting back to Barton. He takes these these certain shots in certain situations that appear so bad and appear so frustrating. And when they miss, they seem to clank off the rim louder than other shots. That doesn't mean they're actually worth more when you're doing the waiting and the adding up. I think all the things that he's done, passing, playing back a point guard when they didn't have one, starting at small forward, starting at shooting guard, coming off the bench at both those positions, um, I think they add up to a ton of value. I actually don't think it's even close that Barton contributes far more than he takes away from this team. So, uh, I think if he didn't play for Denver, I think if he was in like a New York market or something, we'd almost all be talking about Barton as a top three, six man candidate. I think he's number two on my list. The thing I just realized too, everybody's going to hate this podcast. Everything we've talked about is the like epi- it's the epitome of all of the controversial conversations yep. on Twitter, yep. and we took literally the stance that very few fans like. After they lost, <laughs> after they lost, we yeah. said Jokic, Barton, Malone. After Jokic had a rough OT, Barton <laughs> didn't take the three. Malone drew up a bad play, and we're defending them. And but, now we're saying Malone should get extensions, and then Barton is needed around. Oh, I can't wait hey, to see the response look, on this context, one. Oh, I can't wait. Context nuance: Is Will Barton a perfect player? Of no. Not. Is no, Michael he... Malone the ideal head coach for the Nuggets? No. But does, that's a different question than should they resign him, should they fire? Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I think um, I think Malone will be back, and uh, I think he deserves to be back. I don't think it'll be under an extension. We'll see. I think he does get an extension because people – because, like, this is the thing. The reason they fired George Carl was that he raised so much hell because he wanted an extension that they didn't want to deal with it anymore. At some point, they might just give it to him, just not deal with the drama right. flat out. Um, but, yeah, the other thing, too, just go ahead and check out my piece of the off-season breakdown where you can see where the cap space lies for Denver currently, the different free agents they're going to deal with that we talked about in this podcast, all the different draft picks they have, where they came from, the protections on them, all of that bullshit. I believe that's it. You got anything else, man? Yeah, I just want to get sentimental and real for a oh, second. Oh, God. Um, Barf. Hey, shouts to TJ, the guy sitting right next Barf. to me. Barf. I'm going to do it to you guys instead of just a private conversation with him to make him uncomfortable. Uh, TJ helped me get in the building. TJ taught me a lot. TJ made this shit fun. I'm sure you can tell from Twitter, but if you can't, he's an awesome dude. He's a smart dude, so shouts to him. Uh, dude, there's a, a chance we're back doing this again all summer and next season. There's a chance not. In the case that it's the latter, I just want to say... It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for following along. Seriously, Brendan Vote's doing great work. Go follow Bvote422 on Twitter. Everything he does is great wherever he ends up. Definitely worthy of following all of his work wherever he goes. But that is all we got from this Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Thank you guys so much for supporting, listening, and following along. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and comment, and do all that fun stuff. And we will be back at some point in the near future. Have a good one.